get more of the backstory on our Patreon page with exclusive interviews, outtakes, and the Lost Controversial Backstory Podcast. You can only get here. Support on the Backstory Bonus Level. The things that my son, I'm sure, said about me, the things that I have and the wealth that I we've accomplished, I wasn't dirt poor, mm-hmm. but I don't have a house right now in Florida. No minks? No minks. No well, I do have the mink. Okay, but... you got the egg? <laughs> no, I don't have the actor. I can't even drive. <laughs> to this day, I can't drive. I drove everybody around me crazy. Welcome to the Backstory Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Cole. Thank you for subscribing. This is part two of the story of Christopher the Notorious B.I.G. Wallace. In this episode, you'll hear my second interview with the Notorious B.I.G. a month after the release of his debut classic album, Ready to Die. You'll also hear a candid, random interview I did with Big one night in 95 when he was hanging out in Philadelphia. And you'll hear more from his mother, more from DJ Mr. C, and you'll hear the story behind the death row bad boy beef and the untimely death of Tupac and Biggie. And at the end of this podcast, as a bonus, I will play for you an interview I did with Tupac the night Juice came out. So anyway, let's get into it. It's the Backstory Podcast. When we last left each other, I played my first interview with the Notorious B.I.G., which was two months before the release of uh, Ready to Die. A few weeks after that interview, I went to Atlanta for a special event celebrating Outkast's platinum of their debut album. It was a barbecue in suburban Atlanta and a who's who in hip hop attended. Big and Puff performed on stage and that video is out there as well on youtube you need to uh check it out they had both had a lot to drink and they performed unbelievable in their own little version of it and of course they shut it down it was an industry event and big and puff rocked the crowd like it was a normal show a must view video go ahead and find it online You're going to have a lot of homework after this podcast. So anyway, back to my first interview. So that interview was in July of 1994. And shortly after I did that interview, Bad Boy dropped the Flavor in Your Ear remix, which featured a young legend in LL Cool J, along with a bunch of new artists or relatively new artists. You had Busta Rhymes. You had Rampage, The Last Boy Scout, and of course, The Notorious B.I.G. Puff was always strategic with remixes. They were like movies to him. He was the conductor, and his Hitman production crew played the instruments. Remember in part one and in the um, Notorious movie, I talked about Puff's passion that forced Big to do Juicy when Big's gut told him that that was not the way to go. Puff was always thinking like that. I mean, he put ODB on Mariah Carey's Fantasy Remix which opened ODB up to a whole new audience, and the record became a monster hit. What made Puff a genius was his penchant for the unconventional. Could you imagine the meeting with Mariah? I'm going to take the wildest, most out-of-control member of the hardest street group and put them on a song with the princess of pop music with her legion of general market fans. ODB opens up the remix saying, Keeping it real, son. Another part of Puff that sets him apart from everybody else is authenticity. And hip-hop being authentic is everything. And if hip-hop remixes were Pinocchio, then Puff was a Geppetto. He was the best, hands down. I mean, he put Wu-Tang on a remix with SWV, which, from a group perspective, they were so far apart. I mean, at that time, SWV was like a bubblegum R&B group that had several songs, but this collabo changed their trajectory. 
Puff took one of Method Man's hardest songs on his debut album, Takao, All I Need. Now, what I want you to do is go ahead and find All I Need, the original version from Method Man. It's a RZA-produced, grimy, New York City East Coast banger. RZA was the king of these type of songs. In comes Puff. He flips the track and adds Mary J. Blige. Now, off the bat, Puff's track is definitely not as hard as the RZA original, but he drops in the line of one of Big's hardest songs, Me and My Bitch, and lays this line into the track. Lie together, cry together, I swear to God, I hope we fucking die together. Then... Puff paints a modern-day version of Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, and All I Need was a smash song. It helped Method Man gain a whole new audience of women who maybe weren't inclined to listen to his album or a Wu-Tang album. It gave Mary that continuous stamp of queen of hip-hop soul. In the 90s, Puff was the master of the remix. I mean, it was Puff's idea early in Jodeci's career to remix Come and Talk to Me with a hip-hop vibe, and that is what made the song explode and push them to superstardom. A lot of people don't notice that Jodeci's album was out almost a year before Puff started flipping songs on it. So back to Flavor in Your Ear. Up until that point, Puff strategically placed Big on some huge records, building his name as an up-and-coming artist over the previous two years. Flavor in Your Ear was already a hit. Big song Juicy was out, but it wasn't a runaway hit yet. But Puff, knowing the potential of Big, put him on the remix for Flavor in Your Ear and had him open the song up. Now, remember in part one of this podcast, I told you about the Warriors movie and its connection to hip-hop and Biggie. In a major scene in the Warriors movie, one gang was taunting the Warriors using empty Coke bottles, having them in his finger, and clicking them together, yelling, Warriors, come out to play! So Puff... Being the hip-hop person that he was, flipped the intro of Flavor in Your Ear remix to Bad Boy, Come Out and Play, and unleashed Biggie on the first verse, and Big delivered a message to all of hip-hop that he was a new sheriff in town, and his name is Notorious B.I.G. Listen to these lyrics. Foes is shaking in their boots. Invisible bullies like the Gooch disappear. Vamoose, you're whack to me. Take them rhymes back to the factory. I see the gimmicks, the whack lyrics. The shit is depressing. Pathetic. Please forget it. You're mad because my style you're admiring. Don't be mad. UPS is hiring. If you haven't had a chance to listen to my Jay-Z, The Making of a Businessman podcast, which was my first podcast in the backstory, I spoke about the swag Jay-Z had early on calling out other rappers. He probably got some of that from Big. Because see, Big knew he was a superior lyricist, Jay-Z as well, and wanted everybody to know that he had been watching, taking notes, and now was ready to take over. Well, in this Flavor in Your Ear remix, it's exactly what Big is doing. LL also delivered a gem of a verse, but the Flavor in Your Ear remix was a big welcome Biggie moment. Larger audiences now paid attention to this new MC. Then simultaneously, the Juicy video dropped and the song exploded quickly. No doubt that Craig Mack had a hit debut single and remix, but Biggie was the real story at Bad Boy, and he quickly became the most anticipated artist literally two weeks before his debut album was coming out. And on September 13th, 1994, Ready to Die was released. Most hardcore hip-hop fans scooped up the album first. I had been talking about this album for two months, and I was glad people could finally hear it. I was actually riding around Philly in my car playing this album, uh, this cassette that I had way in advance, because I just loved it. It was my favorite album that summer. 
And finally, the people got a chance to hear it. What people loved about Big was his storytelling. Songs like Things Done Change, Machine Gun Funk, Everyday Struggle, and the graphic Gimme the Loot, which was a song about robbing and selling drugs. His storytelling skills were unlike any other MC. Really, the last rapper to have storytelling skills like that before him was Slick Rick. Here's his mother, Valletta Wallace. Uh, Many of the things that Christopher was portraying in his lyrics weren't true. Christopher was a great storyteller. You, you know, you'll be the first one to say that. And I'm sure many of the, the, the fans out there knew that Christopher was a great storyteller. That's why he's such an artist. That's why he was such a great artist. Mm-hmm. The things that my son, I'm sure, said about me, the things that I have and the wealth that I, we've accomplished, I wasn't dirt poor, mm-hmm. but I don't have a house right now in Florida. No minks? No minks. No well, I do have the mink. Okay, but... you got the act? <laughs> no, I don't have the actor. I can't even drive. <laughs> to this day, I can't drive. I drove everybody around me crazy. But uh, the mink I have now, but when right. he spoke about it, I, I never had a mink. It was like Big had two personalities when you listened to his music. Some songs were fun. Others were deeply dark. Pac had that same energy, too, in his music. I asked Big's mother about the difference between Christopher Wallace and... And Biggie. He was an artist, and Christopher knows how to decipher that. I am the artist, I'm the son, I'm the friend. He knows that. When, he, when he's in my house, he's, he's the one of the most gentle, respected human being you can ever encounter. I went and I saw my son in concert. Oh, man. And he begged me. <laughs> He literally begged me <laughs> to come and see him. He said, Mom, you've never seen me perform. You've right. never seen me in concert. Right. Come and see me. And I went and I saw him. And I remember <laughs> I left the club at about four o'clock that morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and he called me. He said, did you enjoy yourself? I said, I enjoyed your performance. But trust me, I don't think I'll ever do it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a different but experience. It's a very different experience. But Christopher was just a different person mm-hmm. around me. Mm-hmm. I mean, you all know Notorious B.I.G., Biggie Small, mm-hmm. Big Papa. I knew Christopher, the warm, loving, generous son who calls me mommy mm-hmm. who calls me mom mm-hmm. who calls me mother dearest when he's upset with me right. <laughs> because i'm sure you know the story of mother de- mommy right. dearest or mother right. dearest mm-hmm. he calls me mom dukes and when he's very upset and wants to really teed me up he calls me ma because <laughs> he he knows i hate when he calls me ma right don't call me ma you know and that was christopher he was very funny a darling and when he writes, when he's out there, he's a performer. He's, he was, that was his thing. That was his world. It was not my world. And he knew that. Mm-hmm. My son would never smoke a cigarette in front of me. Mm-hmm. My son would never use profanity in front of me. If he's in his room and someone is out there using even the word D-A-M-N, mm-hmm. he would, mom is out there. Right. That's the respect I got from my wow. son. Wow. And see, people would never know that unless you said it. Ready to Die was out and getting a lot of positive feedback. The remix to Flavor in Your Ear was on every radio station. Puff, once again, the master marketer, saw what was happening and decided to do a big promotion to capitalize on that energy in the moment. He called it the Big Mac promotion. Bad Boy made a cassette. On one side was seven Craig Mac songs. On the other was seven big songs. And they placed this cassette in a replica of a McDonald's Big Mac sandwich box. They were both on fire at the time with the help of the remix. If you Google Big Mac Biggie promotion, you'll see a picture of them in a fast food restaurant with um, the Big Mac logo on everything. 
They hit the road together, causing a lot of excitement in every city. This was my second interview with Big and Craig Mack. It was a month after the release of Ready to Die, and Big was a star. Juicy was heating up. You'll hear a more confident Big talking about his album and his newfound success. You'll also hear about Craig Mack, who kept calling Puff, Puff Combs. You'll also hear the love of hip-hop history from both of them. This is October 14th, 1994. Oh, Project, I'm sorry. Project Funk the World. Now, Biggie, um, you was on the show a couple months ago, right before the album came out. Now the album is out, and, and, you know, you came and kicked it. How's it been so far? I mean, it's cool, you know what I'm saying? Just being accepted and everybody knowing that I'm here now. You know what I'm saying? Before mm-hmm. I came down and, you know, I had a little song, you know, but my album wasn't completed, so everybody was still skeptical. But now you got a chance to really hear me pull out, you know, 17 cuts of what I do. Okay. All right. Well, definitely much, much props out to you, my man. I was chilling out in Atlanta at the Outcast uh, Gold Party, and you and uh, Puffy was up on stage getting busy. That was kind of fly. And now, Craig, man, you, you just came out of nowhere, man. Tell everybody how nowhere. you how did you how you got hooked up with. I just Puffy came down to earth like a comet, and just boom hit this bad boy. But um, I got down with Puff. You know what I'm saying? Through my management company. Big up to my man Alvin Tony. I'll be productions and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? We um was chilling together out in a town called Wine Dance. You know what I'm saying? He was looking out for me and everything else. He knew I had rhyme skills. Right. So he brought me up to my man Puff Combs at a club called The Mecca. You know what I'm saying? I met up with him and I grooved. I sat down with the brother and I kicked the freestyle rhyme for him. And the rhyme I kicked, you know what I'm saying? He was like, yo... You gotta do a joint with me um and Mary J. Blige. Right. You know from the You Don't Have to Worry um soundtrack from Who's the Man, the remix of it. Right. And I cranked a little joint up on there. Don't try to play me for the same, same, same last brother did it called a beat until his mom's came. Right, right. And um after that we just went to the studio, man, we started cranking out the rest of the album. You know what I'm saying? I had a little piece of the album when I was out there shopping my deal and everything else, but you know what I'm saying, it really came together once I met Puff Cones, aka the glass slipper for this Cinderella. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well yeah. you definitely blew up uh, like on the like right away. And on your album, you give props to like all the rappers from back in the day. So I give props to that. everybody who deserves my props, you know what I'm saying? And I look at the other rappers from back in the days as deserving my props. See, I started with this since like 1979. Right, 80, right. You know what I'm saying? And the only thing that I had to listen to was some brothers like Curtis Blow, Run DMC, LL, and all the brothers when they came out. Right. Um, Funky 4 Plus, One More. You know what I'm saying? Um, cool Herkin and they brought tapes. My uncles and them used to bring tapes. And them brothers cutting up in the parks and stuff out to Long Island and stuff where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And that's that was my upbringing. That's, that's who was my inspiration. That's why I looked at. You know how, you know what I'm saying, you look at role models for stuff. You know, kids look at Jordan when they be wanting to play ball. You know what I'm saying? I looked at Run DMC and my uncles and them and all kinds of rappers and stuff like that back in the days for my role models. I think we, I we all did that in the hip-hop nation. We, we all did. did. When we saw Run and them come out on the stage with well, no laces, right. we all wore no laces. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. They definitely the Kango, We bought the Kango. We bought, we bought the Adidas suits. You know what I'm saying? We got with the, we got with the oh, rap oh, program. Yeah. You know and same saying? thing with you, Biggie, because in the beginning of your album, 
you sort of chronicle your life with hip hop. No question, because that's what was happening. That's what I was listening to. Right. I was listening to Kenny Rogers. All right, well, let's talk about this remix that you put together for Flavor in Your Ear. Ah. Now, that's the bomb. Now, now tell us, how did you hook go all back, that go up? Back, go back. Well, we felt like this. The record company, Bad Boy Entertainment, felt that we need to just give a little bit more flavor right. than what we gave out before the album was really to be released before my next single. Right. You know what I'm saying? And brothers that was into what was going on as far as flavor is concerned, you know what I'm saying? They came down to the studio and they showed me love. You know what I'm saying? They got right. down the track with me. Because the track is all of that. Big up to Easy Mo B for putting yeah, it down. Yeah, Easy Mo B is incredible, man. <laughs> man. You know what I'm saying? That's the, that's the best producer right. I know in about 52 states. And where you come from? You know what I'm saying? Brooklyn, New York. Baby! <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Crooktown. So you, so LL and Rampage and Buster, all of them just came down to the studio. We came down to the studio. We was down there working on it, stuff like that, you know, and we all from the same clique, you know what I'm saying? We all from the same groove around the same area. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? My thing was to make sure that L was down there because L was a big inspiration of mine. Right. And so how was I'm it trying to go for rap. I'm trying to do rap like 10, 11 straight. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I saw you 10, 11 straight. Okay. And I said, well, I need a little crystal. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? L came right on down. Gave right. me that little, that little champagne bust Ooh, over the bottom. You know what I'm man, saying? it was smooth, too. Before I took off. So when he was actually doing it in the studio, what was your reaction while he was doing it? I was bugging. I was still in amazement that L, you know what I'm saying, came down and showed me the love he did. Right. You know what I'm saying? And L's my man for that. You know what I'm saying? I, I just want to say big up to L, big up to, to Biggie, Rampage, and Buster. You know what I'm saying? And, and for all of them showing me that love that they showed me. You know what I'm saying? Okay. That was my Christmas right there. Now, what do you fellas uh, want to say to some of the up-and-coming rappers? Because both of you guys had a little struggle before y'all came out. Look out. Came. Now, I want to say, <laughs> I wanna, on the real, on the real, you know what I'm saying, on the real, I ain't going to deny another brother his, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be tough out there. I ain't going to front. But... Stay 100% focused in what you're going to do. You know what I'm saying? That just applies to life in general. You know what I'm saying? No matter what you do, just stay 100% focused and mean what you say. You know what I'm saying? Go out there with determination. Don't let nothing stop you from achieving your goal. The earth is yours. Word up. Get up. Do your thing. Same thing, man. All I can tell you is keep banging. You know what I'm saying? Like Craig said, man, don't let nobody tell you, oh, you know, I don't think you can do this. Your life, and, and for y'all, I, I don't know if you mean the same way I do. I look keep banging it like this, you know what I'm saying? If you got a brick wall presented in front of you, you know what I'm saying? Don't sit there and just give a couple of hammers to that wall and be like, oh, forget it. Forget it. You know what I'm saying? Keep banging at that wall because that wall will come down before you go down. Okay. You know what I'm saying? That's all I got to say. Like my man Biggie said, it's all good, baby, baby. You don't know, now you know. Now you know. Ready to Die went on to go gold two months after its September 1994 release. Following the Juicy single, they released Big Papa, which was a huge hit for Big, especially on the pop charts. Then they released a video for Warning, and Puff and him were in the video, which played on its street roots. The success of Juicy and Big Papa showed that Big could deliver mass appeal hits. However, similar to Method Man a year earlier, Puff realized that there wasn't anything else left on the album similar to those two songs, and he needed to put that remix hat on and come up with a masterpiece. It was the spring of 1995, nine months after the release of Ready to Die. Usually, that would be it for a rap album, but Puff had a plan. He had just released the first single from his new R&B female group, Total, and Big was on the song Can't You See, which was an instant hit, 
and Big was developing a pattern as the go-to rapper for rap R&B mashups. As with Puff's epiphany on M. Toomey's Juicy Fruit song being the blueprint for Juicy, he took the song Stay from the debut album of DeBarge, added in his new solo female artist Faith Evans to do the hook, and they came with the masterpiece, One More Chance, Stay With Me remix. Remember I told you to Google Method Man, All I Need, the original song. I want you to do the same for Big One More Chance, the original version. It was as hardcore as they come, graphic and explicit. Puff flipped the song and then got one of the best video directors at the time, Hype Williams, to do a star-studded video with a who's who of hip-hop and R&B stars. One More Chance was an even bigger song for Biggie, pushing Ready to Die to double platinum status. It was the biggest song in the summer of 1995. A year after its release, Ready to Die was a bona fide debut smash album, similar to the success Snoop had with Doggy Style a few years earlier. Big brought the East back with a vengeance. Puff then released Faith Evans on the heels of One More Chance, and her first single blew up that summer. In a shocking twist in the summer of 1995, Faith Evans and Biggie Smalls fell in love and got married within four days. Further down the line, Puff put Big on 112's first single, and that was a great launching pad for that group. He kept Biggie on the radio. Ready to Die was certified four times platinum. I love painting the picture of what was happening during that time. So I want to share another interview I did with Big. He would come to Philly all the time and do shows because Philly was like a second home and they could come and they could do a bunch of shows. They could do shows in Jersey. It was just really convenient. Shout out to my man, Big Scott from Camden, New Jersey. Scott was a local promoter and had a close relationship with Big and would do a bunch of shows with him in the Philadelphia area. This is from October of 1995. Biggie was with Scott and they randomly called me on air. You can hear the success in his voice. He had just put out Get Money from his group, Junior Mafia. He talked about his wife, Faith, and their success. They had literally been married for two months. They talked about his upcoming tour. This is October 6, 1995. Check it out. I was just talking to Biggie Smalls on the phone, but he got me on hold. Let me see if he still got me on hold. You know what I mean? Crazy hotel music. Hello? Yo, Big A. What up, player? What's up, dog? Ain't nothing. You coming to Philly, kid? Huh? You coming to Philly this weekend, right? Yeah, no doubt. Okay, well, what's going on with this party you supposed to be having? I'm trying to do something about Becky Jones up in the building. Ha <laughs> ha! You gotta have it, huh? No doubt. Well, you're doing two shows. First one in Camden, right? Um, the first one is in Camden? Yeah, the first one is in Camden. We're gonna get there... Probably between 11.30 and 12. Then we're going to go over to Philly. We're going to be at both shows, in and out, all night. Okay. You know, we're just going to be hanging out. We're going to be hanging, you know, hanging in Camden and Philly. You know, it's going to be an all-night thing at both locations. Now, Big, I got to congratulate you on all your success on Ready to Die. Thank you. And, of course, the Junior Mafia album, which is blowing up all over the place. Yeah. What's up next for Biggie, man? What's what's happening with you, man? What you working on? Well, we're about to go on this tour with Jodeci and Mary J. Blige and Naughty by Nature. Okay. Um, we start that on the 12th. And we're working on Lil' Kim's solo album. Yeah, Lil' Kim. Kim got some skills, yeah. kid. Your album should be dropping like in April. Okay. My album should be dropping like July 4th. Okay. Oh, you coming out next summer? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Okay. Well, that's cool. 
So how you like things right now? How you like living right now, man? Man, just tight. So, you know, just making money and it's got the family with me just doing it. You know? Okay, and congratulations on, on your wife's success. Oh, yeah. She blowing up out the spot. How's it feel to be married and both of you got platinum and gold records coming through the door? How's that feel? Lovely, man. It's all good, man. Okay. It's all good. So we'll check you out Sunday night at Escape in Camden. And then we're going to check you out here in Philly. And you want all the ladies to, to wear them PJs, right? No, no question, no question. Fellas, too, you know what I'm saying? Make the ladies feel comfortable. You know, if they coming through and they negligee, I'm sure they want to see y'all in y'all pajamas and boxes or whatever, you know. Nobody don't want to get rubbed up with no jeans and Tim's at no pajama party. Ah. Oh, it's all good, but we taking everything. All right, it's big. Little bit different. Well, thanks for checking in with me, man. No problem, bro. All right, and I'll see you Sunday. All right. I didn't know this at the time, but as I learned more, things were very tense for Big around the time that I had that conversation, and it was because of Tupac. So let me take you back to November 1994, almost a year earlier from this interview that I just played for you. Pac was shot in the lobby of a studio where he was going to meet Big, Puff, and a bunch of other industry folks. This was the day before the verdict in a rape case Pac was facing in New York. Pac and Big were close. Pac had come out before Big and had more experience in the industry and took a liking to Big. I mentioned this earlier about Suge and Puff, but initially the energy between Death Row and Bad Boy was good, but very competitive. But after Pac was shot, then convicted, then sentenced to jail in New York State, he thought that Big and Puff set him up. He even did a Vibe magazine article where he basically called them out. It didn't help that a month after Pac was shot in December of 1994, when he put Big Papa out, the B-side was a song called Who Shot Ya? And everyone speculated that this was a shot at Tupac. In the Pac All Eyes on Me movie, shout out to my man Benny Boom, a Philly Temple cat, for directing that joint. There was a scene where Pac hears the song and he's in jail and he puts it all together. Check out these lyrics from Big. Who shot ya? Separate the weak from the obsolete. Hard to creep them Brooklyn streets. It's on, nigga. F all that bickering beef. I can hear sweat trickling down your cheek. Your heartbeat sound like Sasquatch feet. Thundering, shaking the concrete. Finish it. Stop. When I foil the plot, neighbors call the cops and they heard mass shots. Tupac was incensed that this supposed friend would do that to him. Biggie and Puff continuously denied it, but Pac wasn't convinced. In the All Eyes on Me movie, there was a scene where Big warned Pac about the people he was hanging around with in New York. In the winter of 1995, Pac released his last Interscope album, Me Against the World, as he stood behind bars with the number one album in America, which at the time, no artist ever had a number one record that was in jail at the same time. Then, later that year, at the Source Awards in New York, the simmering tension boiled over. I was there and remember how weird it felt. The energy in the room was just bad from the start. This was the Source Awards that Big would own because of his debut album. He was reaping the benefits of Ready to Die. Death Row also had a successful year as well. They won Soundtrack of the Year for Above the Rim. That was the movie Pac was filming when the rape happened in New York. Suge gets on stage to accept the award, thanks God, tells Tupac to keep his heads up, then throws a subliminal shot at Puff that would instantly change the hip-hop industry for the worst. He basically said, if you don't want your executive producer dancing in all the videos, probably just calling out Puff. The crowd did not like what Suge had to say, and the tension in the room went from 5 to 10. Then Dr. Dre wins Producer of the Year as John Singleton who was a big director at the time. He directed a lot of black movies during that time. When he announced Dr. Dre, he says, "Uh uh-oh, we may have some trouble. 
right when he says it. The crowd boos. Dre comes up with Snoop. And Dre was actually pretty cool. Like, Dre wasn't really involved. Like, Dre's always kind of been that way. But Snoop, uh, when I told you it went from 5 to 10, that 10 went to 15 as Snoop was like, uh, the East Coast don't love Death Row. And he challenged the people from the East Coast. It was not a pretty sight. And again, you can go to YouTube and see all of this. Then Craig Mack wins single of the year for Flavor in Your Ear. He shouts out the East Coast. And as he walks off the stage, the crowd chants, East Coast, East Coast. Again, go to YouTube. You can see all of this. So after the Source Awards, the tension was thick. Thankfully, there wasn't social media like today because a lot of people were talking. There were a lot of industry events around the country where Bad Boy and Death Row camps would get together and organizers would, would frantically try to keep them apart. Then, a few months after the Source Awards drama, Suge bailed out Pac and signed him to Death Row. And Pac, fresh out of jail, had a bullseye on Puffy and Big and the East Coast. He hated them with a passion. And any chance he had to call them out, he did. As he was recording the album All Eyes on Me, he had Faith Evans in the studio in L.A. because she recorded a song with him. She publicly stated that nothing happened between them other than recording. But in June of 1996, Pac put out a disc record called Hit Him Up, where he said he slept with Faith Evans. In the last interview that I played with Big, he had talked about putting an album out in July of 1996. He obviously didn't meet that deadline, but his good friend Jay-Z released his album the last week of June in 1996. And Big did a track on that album called Brooklyn's Finest. In that song, Big addressed the Tupac comment about his wife because she was pregnant at the time with young Christopher. He says, if Faith has twins, she probably have two pox. Get it? Two pox. He took the funny way out, and that song got a lot of attention. Jay-Z blew up in 1996 and was the newest New York rapper to have success all over the country. A few months later, on September 7th, Pac was in Las Vegas for a Mike Tyson fight. And he got into an altercation in the hotel lobby and was shot that night and later died on Friday the 13th, 1996. His death was one of the first shockwaves to hip hop. I would say Easy es death to AIDS was a shockwave, but this was different. This was just a violent death of one of the biggest rappers in the country who was in jail, who had a lot of controversy around him. There was so much speculation as to who shot Tupac. Biggie went dark. As he was in the studio during this time recording Life After Death. On March 1st, 1997, Bad Boy dropped Hypnotize, Biggie's first single on his new double album, Life After Death. The reaction was immediate. This was another hit. Big was back and he went to the West Coast for a week to film the video and do some promotion because the album was coming out on March 25th. The Soul Train Awards were also happening that week and Big presented an award to Tony Braxton. This was March 8th, 1997. After the award show, they went to the after party. At some point during the after party, the fire marshal shut down the party, which is no surprise in L.A. That happens all the time. Big and entourage leave in tow in a bunch of SUVs. As he greeted some women who were on the corner who recognized him, a car pulls up and unloads on the front passenger seat. Big was severely wounded rushed to the hospital where he died. It was a shocking turn of events for the hip-hop community. The two biggest artists dead within six months after one of the greatest years in the history of the genre. I told you 1996 was just an amazing musical year for hip-hop. DJ Mr. C on Big's death. Well, I know for me, man, when I heard that B.I.G. passed away, man, I was devastated. I'll never forget. I got a call the morning of March 9th um, by a good friend of mine named Fred Bugs. 
a.k.a. Bugsy, legendary uh, air personality in New York City. And he called me at home and said, yo, see, man, you know, I'm hearing some things about Biggie and you need to check it out and see if it's true. And um, I started trying to call around the people. And um, um, once I got the, the, the final kind of confirmation that he passed away, man, I couldn't even sleep. Um, the only thing I can think of at that time was to go to Hot 97, which I was on the air at the time at Hot 97. So I said, let me let me let me let me go to Hot 97 and let me see what's going on. And and I'll never forget, like when I went to Hot 97 the morning of March 9th and uh, driving around Brooklyn to get to Manhattan to get to Hot 97. The, the, you know, the whole the whole Brooklyn was quiet. I've never seen Brooklyn like that. I've never seen it to where nobody is outside, nobody is in the streets doing something, something going on. I didn't, I didn't see a bum. I didn't see a crackhead. I didn't see, no, I didn't see nobody going on. I didn't see nothing. And that's the first time I've ever seen Brooklyn like that, where it was just silence and nobody outside. And t- my trip going to Hot 97 that morning, that's what I witnessed. And when I arrived at Hot 97, Angie Martinez, another legendary air personality, was on the air along with um Lisa Evers who um you know who's uh, does a lot of news here in New York City um they both was already on the air kind of you know trying to be the people on the air to give you know to just to, to console the city and you know I started getting on the air with Angie Martinez and Lisa Evers and we started talking to listeners and people was just crying and just bawling out crying on the telephone and some of the celebrities called up like Swiss Beats, Buster Rhymes. I remember them two specifically calling and so many other celebs called. I I can't remember, but it was just a sad, sad day and time in in uh, particularly in New York City. Um, it took me it, it literally took me at least three to five months to kind of try to slowly but surely get back on my feet and try to get back into a flow. I was, I was devastated and the hip hop community just took it. It took it, took it very, very hard, you know? And it was just like, especially like in New York, because, you know, Biggie was our champion in New York. He was the one that kind of brung New York, AKA East coast hip hop back to our side. You understand what I'm saying? And, and when we lost big man, it was just, it was, it was devastating. And, um, even to this day, you know, 21 years later, it, it still hits home. It's still as sharp as it was when he first passed away back in 1997. It's, it's something that, you know, it's just like the people that kind of live through um, when Martin Luther King passed away. It's, it's you know, and I don't want to compare that to Biggie, but I, I mean, the impact that it had on hip hop when Biggie passed away, it was a huge, huge loss. I remember myself rushing to the radio station to jump on there. It was a Sunday morning and I had been up late the night before. I get to the radio station and I was angry and embarrassed for the culture. Why did this happen? How do we get to this point? How do we explain this to the younger generation? What was the message in all of this? At the time, I wasn't full-time in radio, and I had a job on the side. My position was working for the criminal court systems in Philadelphia. I was a criminal justice major at Temple, and I did that on purpose because the entertainment business, radio business is just not, you know, I wanted to have something else to fall back on. So I had this job during the day, and one of the programs that they had in Philly was the Youth Advocate Program. It was specifically for young people that had been arrested. They would kind of be on house arrest and only be able to go out with approval from their advocate. So you were like an instant probation officer, but not with all the powers of a probation officer. Um, it was our job to work with these kids and keep them on the right path until their case was uh 
until their case went through the court. I had just started working in this position. I had about five kids under my supervision. One of the kids who was really troubled, I had him come to the radio station with me a few weeks after Big's death to help me put together a special show I was doing on Big around his new album. I kind of felt like maybe if I, I couldn't get through to this kid, but maybe I could get through to him through Big. It was tough to talk about this because I really didn't have an answer. Here I am trying to help kids that are in the criminal justice system, trying to like keep them on a straight and narrow. And they look at their biggest rappers and they say, man, they get murdered. And it's just like me. I can't, I'm not going to live. It was just really hard for me as a young man. I mean, I was in my twenties and I was still trying to figure out life as well. And this kid had a lot of um, anger issues and problems walking away from confrontation without it becoming physical. He was a really great kid, except his temper would get the best of him. I remember having conversations with him about Big and his story and where he came from and what he achieved up to that point. I can't say that the kid was moved by the situation in the moment. And maybe that's the lesson to us all. So many families all over the world have to deal with a loss of a relative due to senseless violence. And in many cases, still to this day, when everything is investigated by the police and you find out the real roots of what happened and it would be over something so stupid, something so trivial. So in this interview that I had with Miss Wallace, I asked her, what could she say to other families struggling with such a loss? The feeling that they're feeling, nobody else is feeling that pain. No one else is feeling my pain. But all I can tell them out there is to be strong, stick to their family Family and friends are the best support. Anything that's beautiful, try to focus on it and never, ever lose their faith in God. Wow. Because that's what's keeping me today, and I know it will keep them. It's been 21 years since we lost Big and Pac. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Backstory Podcast. Now, as promised, I want to play this interview for you. I did two interviews with Tupac. And I can't find the first interview I did, but I will tell you this Tupac story real quick. I met Tupac when he was with Digital Underground because when they came to Philly, I remember this show. You know, Pac grew up in Baltimore, New York. Like he wasn't uh, he was living in the West Coast, but he had East Coast roots and he was a networker. He just wanted to connect with people. So I remember meeting him backstage at a concert. The Digital Underground was on. I want to say that it was the NWA tour, but I'm not sure. But it was a tour in the early 90s. And he went solo. I knew Money B because Money B had family in Philadelphia and Money B was um, a part of Digital Underground. So he signed the Interscope Records and I got to shout out my good friend, Rob Plummer, who is now a baseball agent. But at the time he was in law school at the University of Virginia. And on the side, he was a college promoter for all uh, for major labels. He was like an independent promoter for all the major labels. And he called me. He was like, yo, I got Tupac. You know, Interscope just signed him. Can we do an interview? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know who Tupac is or whatever. And he comes to the radio station and we do this interview. Then we go get something to eat. And I never forget this. Now, he wasn't a superstar yet. He was just in Digital Underground. And you can only see the videos on MTV Raps or The Box if you had The Box. And we go to this shopping center to get something to eat. And he just was a magnet for people. People didn't know who he was, but they were just coming to him like he was a star, which I was like, wow, this is this is actually pretty cool. And so we did the interview or whatever, and I cannot find that interview. However, a couple of months later, Juice came out. And, you know, back then we didn't have the Internet. So you didn't know. You just didn't know when things were happening. You may have heard about a movie or whatever, but all of a sudden you go to the movies and you see this preview. So literally December of 1991, you started to see trailers for Juice. I was like, oh, wow. Now, when I interviewed him several months before that, it was earlier in the fall of uh, 91. He never mentioned that he had a movie coming out. He just never told me. So I tracked them down 
And the night that Juice came out, he gave me a call. And this is that interview. Check it out. Movie. No, I wanted to be on the down low. I didn't want to be like, you know, I did this movie and I'm all that. I'm a, I wanted to be on my own merit. You know what I'm saying? Oh, okay. And they like it. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want to be all on my own. <laughs> <laughs> Solid, man. So do you have any uh, other uh, other movies or uh, anything, any other projects that you're working on? Well, I'm working on producing a lot of people. I'm producing a group called the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. I'm producing a girl named Mister. Mm-hmm. Besides that, you know, I'm looking for the new part. Not, not, not to mention you have a brand new uh, song out with Digital Underground called No Nose Job, right? No Job, Digital Underground's new single. My new single coming out, Brenda's Got a Baby. Brenda's Got a Brand New Baby. Right now, Tupacalypse Now. Basically, I'm just trying to, you know... Okay, well, check it out, people of Philly. It's a great pleasure to have him on the phone. Just, just hold on a sec, Tupac, because we're gonna play Brenda's Got a Baby right now. So let everybody hear this brand new. Why don't you explain to us what exactly the, the song is about? Well, I was on the set doing the movie Juice, and uh, I was reading a story about this teenage girl, 12 years old, got pregnant, had a baby, and when I read about it, it, it the story was deeper than that. So listen to the song and you see how deep it really is. Juice. Well, the juice. So, so let me ask you a question, man. What, was it fun playing a bad guy? In, uh, in juice, it was the best because you know the good guy gotta you know keep up that image. Being the bad guy, you know what I'm saying? I got to really like make it my own, and like that that gave me a chance to leave a bigger impression than if I was a good guy. So I, as I looked at the movie, I could tell you ad libbed a lot, a lot. Like like when you got my man in the alley, you ad libbed on there, didn't you? Oh yeah, yeah. When I shot him up when I when I the gun. Yeah. Telling him, I was telling Ernest today it's not like in the old days when you shoot somebody one time, people survived that. Uh huh. It was really ruthless. He was yeah. like straight up gangster, so he would right. see his clip like a gangster would. Yeah, Riverside, Riverside. Yeah, Riverside. And that's something that wasn't in the script, but that's something me from being from the streets. Well, there you go. As a bonus. My uh, interview with Tupac, The Night Juice, came out. Interesting how he tells a story about Brenda has a baby. Like, he tells that story. Like, it's, you know, he was just an awesome guy, man. And um, the last time I saw him was 1995, the summer of 1995. I never forget this. He had done a show at this club in Philly called Lumberjack. That was the name of the club. I was hosting it. And it was a Saturday night. And I hadn't seen him in, you know, a while, you know, since he he, he was like a big star at that point. And I gave him a hug, and I never forget he had a bulletproof vest on. And I was like, Pac, it's like that? And he was like, it's like that. I was, that was just like, I'm so far from crime and violence. Like, I know about it, but I just didn't I just didn't come up like that. And nobody had bulletproof anything at that time. But Pac was wearing a bulletproof vest, and I thought that was like, wow. You know, it was sad that he, uh, he passed, and uh, that was tough for hip-hop. But we survived. Hopefully, we'll all learn from this. So earlier, you heard my interview with Craig Mack and the Notorious B.I.G. when they were doing the Big Mac promotional tour. A few years later, right after Craig Mack came out and then Big had his tremendous success, Craig Mack kind of fell off with the label and he parted ways with Puff. And I had a chance to interview him a little bit after that happened and he was now an independent artist. So he since has passed away and I wanted to share this clip from this interview I did with uh, Craig Mack. And it was actually pretty inspirational. So check this out. I got Craig Mack. Craig, what's the deal, kid? What's the deal, brother? What's up, Philly? Welcome back, man. You know what I'm saying? No doubt. You know what I'm saying? I've been up in this piece for a minute. No you doubt. Now, now, Craig. What's all good, honey? Still looking crazy. Tell, tell everybody what's going on, man. What's, what happened between Project Funk the World and now? What's going on with Craig Mack? A lot of people want to well, know what the happened. The album is coming out June 24th. Operation Get Down. Hot to death. You know what I'm saying? The album is fat. 
You know what I'm saying? 15 butters on it, all crazy. Name of the label is Street Life, you know what I'm saying? And we here to wake it up. You know what I'm saying? And that's all there's to it. Okay. Jogging my style. Y'all done heard a piece of that. You know what I'm saying? A little taste of, of some of the joints in the album, like style and everything else. You know what I'm saying? Album is hot, and I'm just ready to go ahead and kill this summer. Okay. So it feels good to get back on the scene? Oh, no doubt. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Now, a lot of people want to know what happened, man. You left Bad Boy, and now you're doing your own thing. What's, what's up with that? Me and Puff had a, um, you know what I'm saying, a discussion. And we left everything as mutual, you know what I'm saying? It's mm -hmm. time for now. You know, him, he's doing his thing. I'm, I'm about to start doing my thing. Okay. You know okay. what I'm saying? That's how we do it. So everything's you know love, love, y'all. Oh, everything is mad love, you know what I'm okay. saying? They pups still cool each other, still kicking back and forth, you know what I'm saying? All good, you know? It's all good. So, Craig, why don't you tell them? Because a lot of people don't know about the struggle you went through to just to get down back in the day. I went through struggles like Kizzy. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> well, we don't even know. I was, I was walking around like Florida Heavens out this motherfucker. <laughs> nah, but um, the most, the, the best thing I can tell you to do is, you know what I'm saying, everybody has their own, you know what I'm saying, story of a struggle. I mean, you can bring every rap artist in here and gonna have a story about, right. you know what I'm saying, they struggle and dudes. You know what I'm saying? So realize that dudes are all part of just... You know what I'm saying? Whatever you want to do. You want to be a doctor, you got to pay dues and be a doctor. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's just a process that you got to go through. But well, I will I will say this for uh, for uh, upcoming rappers and MCs and singers and whoever you want to be. Just make sure that you make your music for the people. You understand what I'm saying? Make it for the masses. Make it for the audience to enjoy. And tell them why you just said that. Well, because it's entertainment, you're in a business. You know what I'm saying? And this is a business. If you want to make songs for yourself, you can go around and make demos all day, and you and your boys can ride around the car all day listening to it. But if you want to make songs, and you want to go out there and have a career and a long longevity in the career, then you have to make songs that cater to the people and cater to the masses. And so make your songs for the general. You know what I'm saying? And make them hot. All right, so there you have it. Uh, Craig Mack, R.I.P. to Craig Mack. Uh, he died at the age of 46 from congestive heart failure. And I wanted to share that interview. And it's kind of, I'm ending this on a sad note. But, uh, you know, Tupac and Craig Mack and the Notorious B.I.G. are all no longer with us. And they all died in their prime. And I wanted to share Biggie's story, but I also wanted to share a little bit about Craig Mack and, of course, Tupac. On the next Backstory Podcast coming up, The Chris Brown Story. How a kid from a small town of Virginia came out of nowhere to become a superstar. As like my recognition builds, like even in France, people starting to come up to me and it's starting to be swarms of people taking pictures and people. So now it's like, wow, I'm actually fulfilling my dream and fulfilling that path that God put me on. That's on the next Backstory Podcast. I'm Kobe Cole. Get more of the Backstory on our Patreon page with exclusive interviews, outtakes, and the Lost Controversial Backstory Podcast you can only get here. Support on the Backstory bonus level.